0: Hello, Line Cook Nation. This is Ray Delucci with the Line Cook Thoughts Podcast. In this episode, I get to interview Chef Kareem Roberts, the owner of the Broke Dinner Instagram page. He is someone who is so creative with a side hustle. Uh, Kareem really works hard to put all of his effort into plating and presenting food. And not only that, but putting the food on Instagram and telling a story or sending a message to it. And he really feels like he has a responsibility and at least holds a duty to enlighten other cooks through his work and by putting it on social media and using social media as a way to get a message out. Uh, he's very creative with his posts. He has a lot of other products online that I look forward to seeing from him. And he's just someone who I look up to in terms of the way he posts on social media and uses content to add value to the everyday cook. Um, and he's someone who, you know, this conversation goes in all sorts of different directions. Uh, he has a great personality, a big personality, and I really feel our conversation as well. And it's just all about, you know, everything from Instagram chefs to plating and, you know, fine dining and just everything. Like I feel like we encompass so much in this, in this, uh, not interview but really just conversation between two people who are trying to put out content for the everyday cook and. And our mission to add value to y'all, I think we hit a common ground and we really had a great conversation and really one of the most in-depth and fluid conversations I've had on the podcast so far. So I just want to thank Kareem for coming on the show and if you go follow his page and just thank you all so much for uh, tuning in this week to listen to this episode. It means a ton. I really hope you enjoy this. I know a lot of you have been looking forward to having him on the podcast. And so here we go. Great. All right. Hey, Kareem, how's it going? Welcome to Lion Cook Thoughts podcast. What's going on, Ray? How's it going, man? I'm good, I'm good. How are you? I'm lovely, man. Having a beautiful day. Just
1: hit a birthday, another milestone pass, another day etched into the history books. So I can't complain, man.
0: Nice, man. Um, welcome to the show. I just wanted to start by introducing you or having you introduce yourself. Just tell us a little bit about you. And yeah, I think we'll go from there.
1: All right, first of all, my name is Kareem Roberts, aka Broke Dinner. That's the handle and the tag that I go by. Um, and I'm your typical cook, man. I'm a non traditional culinary student. I started cooking late in life, relatively late mid to late 20s professionally. But I was always a cook at home, man. Like, that's where it started. My passion for food and cooking was not forced upon me professionally. It was, yeah, yeah, like a lot of people there at that pitchfork in the road where they have to make a decision oh my god am i gonna become like what am i gonna do with my life blah 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 um i was at that pivotal decision making point but it was later in life and i had already had an affinity for cooking casually and leisurely and it was a good option for me man
0: and so you know this is how i like to start all my podcasts is like so uh, where, where are you from and what was your childhood like in terms of food exposure and like what was food like in general growing up for you?
1: Okay wow that's a that's a that's a complex question Where am I from okay I was born in the UK to West Indian parents. my mom is Jamaican, my dad is Antiguan. and I grew up in Antigua but I lived in the US for a little bit South Florida so I'm a bit of a nomad and um, as part my as far as food memory goes. I take from everywhere that I've ever eaten anything. So, and it's weird because me growing up to Jamaican, a Jamaican mother and an Antiguan father in Antigua, people think that Caribbean food is unanimously the same across the fo- across the board when that could be far, not, not not a lot could be further from the truth. It's very regional. Okay. What they eat in Jamaica, we don't necessarily eat in Antigua and what we eat similarly in antigua and jamaica trinidadians would look at as what the hell are you guys doing and then you have people from like other lesser popularized commercial less, less commercial caribbean islands like aruba and things like that like grenada the island you don't necessarily hear about which are rich with culinary heritage and lore that just don't get the you know, they don't have that star, that, that that pizzazz dish, like that jerk chicken or something like that. They don't have that ceviche or like that arroz con pollo and those things, which are all oh, Like a lot of people also forget that Latin Caribbean cuisine is a part of Caribbean cuisine. And maybe it may not, maybe it's not grouped together as such, but we share so many similar dishes be, just due to the climate. You gotta look at what grows in the Caribbean. We have a lot of ground provisions. We have like so many different root vegetables. We have yam, we have real different sweet potatoes. We have cassavas, we have like eddos, we have bread nuts. We have things that you wouldn't normally come across. The vegetation that we have, the stuff that grow on trees, the mangoes, the turtle berries. The the, the variety of bananas and plantains, just so many different things that you don't necessarily encounter outside of Latin, Caribbean, and African cuisine, or at least so I thought until I moved to the UK and realized that a lot of the produce that we get is similar to produce that they have in Africa, northern to central Africa, similar to stuff that you would find across subcontinental Asia, be it Indian Indian cuisine, Pakistani cuisine, you know, Bengali cuisine and stuff like that. And also, I recently found out that one of my childhood favorite vegetables, the breadfruit, was more commonly consumed in Indonesia.
0: Really? And
1: I learned that tropical climates produce the same ingredients generally around the world because it's stuff that grows on either side or along the equator. Now... The memories that I had growing up, before I understood anything about food and stuff like that, was just stuff that tasted good. And uh, my dad was a fisherman. And so I was exposed to a lot of seafood, fish and raw fish and stuff like that. And raw fish, let me not say raw fish. One of the things that I ate growing up so much was this thing that we have called conch, which is like, I don't know if you've ever seen the conch shell that, you know. yeah. I'm, yeah. Yeah, but it has this really tough muscle inside of it. I think it's a mollusk, I forget what you call it, or cellophane, I don't know. But um, we used to eat it raw, man, we used to just whack that out of the shell, and it's super slimy, man. The slime that's on conch is thicker than oatmeal, man. It is super <laughs> thick and some nasty stuff. But we know you just rub some sand on that and pull it down, and you'd get them on the boat so you dive them up. And this stuff takes a very long time to cook unless you tenderize it or eat that sucker raw. Okay. Man, there was nothing that I loved as a kid more than raw conch, man. You couldn't put that anywhere near me. And salted cod, which is not really raw. It's cured, but we eat a lot of that. And then I was shocked to find out that salted cod was consumed consumed globally really? in the form of, like, salt cod or bacalao in Portugal and those places. So when I found out that they was making this thing called brandada, I'm like, well, you all know about saltfish. Because you know, <laughs> in the Caribbean, we ate that, and we ate it with stuff that was, like, called – in on my island, we have two really, like – Our traditional dish on my island is a Sunday breakfast where we cook a Creole style salted cod, which is salt cod stewed with some peppers, onions, some, um, and tomato paste. And it's pretty much, um, like a Creole sauce, they call it, but it's pretty much salt baccalo pomodoro. If you wanted to get the proper culinary nomenclature as it Mm -hmm. would translate to what we would, the way you would write it on a menu, but it was pretty much um, saltfish stewed in tomatoes, and would have that with what we would call chop up, which if you looked at it, when I came to this, when I came to the UK, which is where I learned most of my professional cookery, outside of when I started out in Antigua, um, we found out that I went to this restaurant and they had this thing called aubergine caviar, where they would. Roast the aubergine, scoop it out the insides, mix it with some shallots and some creme fraiche. And I'm like saying, "Oh, you guys are making chop up here. I can't believe I left my island to come here and learn how to make a Sunday breakfast in my island. And they were like, oh, no, this is called aubergine caviar. And I'm like saying, nah, man, this is chop up. This is breakfast to me, son. I know what this shit is. Where the salt fish at? And then we served that with some kind of like, you know, like a lamb rump with a demi and shit. And I was very disappointed that I left my island to come learn make this. Like I was broken hearted. (laughs) Really? <laughs> yeah, but then the other traditional dish that we have on my island is served with salt fish as well and we had a lot of salt fish which is another reason because we had a lot of preserved we had to preserve culturally you have to look at where i'm from i'm from a third world country and we weren't necessarily refrigeration is a relatively new concept when i say relatively new you're talking about within the last like 40 years ago, it was not uncommon to find people without fridges in my country. So what do you do, man? Yeah, 40 years ago. 40 years ago, fridges were not everywhere, my man. Like, televisions weren't everywhere. And please, when I say 40 years ago, it was not uncommon. I'm telling you this in in the poorer parts of my country. Yeah, everyone, if you had money or if you were comfortable, you had a fridge, you had TV and all that stuff. I didn't come from the jungle, man. But I grew up in... Of, around a very humble area okay. I was exposed To that form of lifestyle Where people were cooking outdoors a lot Because they didn't necessarily have an internal Internal cookware They just didn't, they didn't need it And, and don't knock cooking outdoors until you've really tried it Some of the best food I have ever had in my life Was cooked on a clay pot, man it's okay. the finest stuff. And um, so you had a lot of salted meats, cured meats. Like we had a lot of salted porks, stuff that you could keep in really, really dense brines and it wouldn't go off. So, I mean, like you'd have meat. You you literally, the thing about salt is you'd have it. You think about it. Where else in the modern world do you find fish at room temperature for days and weeks and it's perfectly fine to cook? Mm-hmm.
0: That's where
1: you think about it. It is, odd. it is odd, but anywhere you have bacalao, it's fine. When you call it bacalao, it's okay. Nowadays, curing, there's a renaissance for curing and dry aging in these things. So these are things that I was exposed to inadvertently as a young age. Okay, because I always like to explore these things. And one of the other things, that salted fish, salt cod, is something that we used a lot of growing up on my island, so much. And one of the things that we had it with was um this thing that we call fungi whereas we would make this coarse cornmeal porridge, which was really thick and would add okra, which is a really slimy root vegetable to it. Mm -hmm. And it was essentially a, a form of polenta, so then I would start watching Iron Chef and all these things on Food Network, Alton Brown and all these dudes. And I'd hear them talking about, oh, my God, that polenta that Mario Batali is making looks phenomenal. He's whipping that Asiago cheese into it and he's finishing with that burnt butter reduction. And I'm like saying, yo, this dude is making fungi, man. This dude is making fungi with okra. I didn't understand that cooking yeah. is the same no matter where you go. It's just a few small changes here or
0: there. Yeah, you're right. I mean, Absolutely. the Absolutely. basic techniques and everything. So, I mean, yeah.
1: But when you look at the combination of something like as simple as, um, I, I like to use rice as the common denominator for food, right? Mm. Because it's something that I think rice is one of the more abundant ingredients that I have an affinity for. And if you look at the different Iterations of rice and chicken around the world, you'd slowly begin to notice that there's not that much of a difference between a biryani, a risotto, like if it's a risotto con carne, a meat risotto, mm-hmm. and something like um, a paella, and then a jambalaya. The only thing that is different is the technique and maybe mm-hmm. the ingredient here or there and maybe the shape of the rice. But then when you start to understand... Mm-hmm the process behind what makes these dishes unique. You can start to adapt them and then you can start to substitute and you can start to make them relatable to one another.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah, of course, man. Which is, you can look at it as something as simple as sandwiches. And it's the way you perceive food. Mm -hmm. You don't really think about, like I had a chef, one of the first chefs that I worked for in Antigua at a hotel he was um, a chef by the name of Frank Sham. Shout out to Frank Sham. Frank Sham, if you're listening to this, oh my gosh. Frank Sham was the most instrumental chef I ever met in my life.
0: Shout out to you, Chef.
1: Yeah, yeah, because what he taught me was um, as long as you're passionate about learning, everything else will be fine, one way or another. Okay. Even if you're not good, no. As long as you want to keep learning, you'll be fine. This is a very long game.
0: Yeah, it is. <laughs>
1: It is a very long game. And a lot of people are forced to learn because they want to advance. Then there are a lot of people who want to learn because they're in love. Love does not go away. Whereas you can make it to the top quickly by learning quickly, learning enough to get to the top. And that's it. You don't need to learn anymore. But if you're in love, you want to keep that love. Like you want to keep that love intense. And when you're in love with cooking, that process is cyclical.
0: Yeah, Like, yeah,
1: sure you may lose the passion, but it comes back, you wanna make it happy. You wanna make yourself happy, you wanna relearn, you wanna reteach, you wanna grow a little bit. And he taught me how to love learning, unlike anyone else, because he gave me the ability to create, when I was just a young cook, he told me like, yo dude, cause it was a, we were working at an all-inclusive hotel, which had its merits, there were eight restaurants on the premises um it wasn't the finest technique here or there because it was still like all-inclusive well you could learn a bit there was a sushi restaurant there was an italian restaurant there was um an international brasserie there was a caribbean restaurant a seafood restaurant and um there was a tapenaki grill a steakhouse there was a butchery like they had a pastry department they had a lot going on there if you wanted to go the recipe the, the menus were set in stone though but you had the buffets and the theme nights where if you wanted to, you could try something out. And he yeah. gave me an opportunity to, hey, if you, figured, if you saw something that you want to try, come talk to me. And if we can make it happen, we'll make it happen. And holy shit, I always had something that I wanted to make happen. And he was like, yeah. yo, dude, if you want to try it, try it, man. And I, I messed up a lot of things, but I made a lot of things right. But what he did that I can never thank him enough for is he nurtured my passion to learn. Okay. A lot of places in this industry right now, like you work at a lot of restaurants and um they don't care about how creative you are. They yeah. don't care about your strengths. They just care about what you can do for them. And I think that is one of the one of the more man, if you want to kill a creative cook, let him do the same thing over and over with no deviation, man.
0: Yeah. I mean so, but I to counter that, though, I mean, yeah, there there are some cooks who like the, um, I guess, consistency of things. Um, you know, working, having a set menu, and being able to do that and get better in that. Um, I think there is a place for consistency. I think at the end of the day, it just depends on who you are as a person. And If you're creative, you need to find that creative space. But if for a while you want to do something more consistent and hone your skills and things um more than just cooking, you know, maybe managerial roles and stuff like that. I think also, though, there, there is room for that as well, you know?
1: Now, what I would say to you is this, Ray. If you want to run a successful business, there is not a lot of room for creativity, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. It is difficult to and, – and this is the truth. This is the truth. So while I say a lot of chefs do not care about your creativity, that's because your creativity is not something that they can duplicate. It's difficult to – um. it's difficult to, to scale creativity. You can't scale creativity. You no. can scale a recipe. You can scale consistency. Consistency is very scalable. And business is all about what you can scale as yeah. opposed to what you can create. Now, at a certain level, in certain walks of life, when you're that guy and you have the right team around you, it's all about creativity and consistency finding a common ground. Yes. But as a general rule of thumb, like if you want to make money, in this era, you're better off finding thirty bulletproof recipes that everyone will love, and run a factory, and open a factory. That's, that is what it is. Yeah. Now the thing is this:
0: I'm not that guy. Yeah, and you know, everyone, like I said, everything, everyone's different. And I think if you are creative, um, this is my this is the thing that I, that I think we talked about a lot is if you're really creative, you spend your time outside of work creating things. Like Absolutely. Spending, like you do. Like you like even if you wanted to learn like something that is consistent and you know is working well, you have some you have time outside of work to create your own dishes and do research on things and read books and you know do whatever honestly. Uh, like so a cook who listens to this could message you and have a conversation with you and like get inspired and get ideas or like listening about your heritage. Like, I think it comes down to, like, how you use your time effectively, not just at work, but outside of work. And I feel like a lot of cooks don't use their time effectively outside of work, which is something I think we both try to promote.
1: Wow. Oh, my gosh. Ray, now, first of all, I've mentioned this to you offline. I admire how much you do outside of work. Thank you. And that's the thing. And um, I know for a fact that I can do so much more if I just manage my time a little bit better. But I've done a lot. Considering I've had, I've held up, I, I work full time. People look at me, people ask me sometimes like, oh my God, are you just an Instagram chef? I'm like, no, I cook professionally full time, man. I'm not a head chef, but I do cook professionally and I do hold a management position. And like, I do add a lot of value to the place that I work at. I'm one of the senior chefs, but I'm not the guy, I'm not the top guy, but I do what I can to to improve where I work. And then when I leave work, I do what I can to improve my personal development. That's what I put a lot of time and emphasis into. And um that's difficult. Yeah. That's difficult, Ray. That's so difficult. We, we because so many days I'm sitting here and there are a lot of days when I'm like oh my gosh, I could cook a dish now. I could be reading something now. I could be editing a video now. I could be creating some new content now but I'm not and I don't want to be too hard on myself because a lot of times, hey, I'm saying this to myself on either my day off or when I just got home from work or when I'm a beat or a few hours before I'm going to work. But um, time management is about just saying to yourself, it's a lot of willpower and saying, hey, get something done. Yeah. Like uh, we listen to a lot, but that's the thing. In this era nowadays, time management is super essential because you have that potential to do so much more in your downtime. Yeah. You have that potential, right? You have that absolute ability to be more than just a cook and to plan your life like um you talk about it. Imagine 30 years ago, right? Mm-hmm. You are a chef. Yo, know, suppose you wanted to you suppose you were unhappy in your career and you started to wonder like, "Oh my god, what am I going to do after this? What am I going to do? I hate my job. I'm never going to be a head chef. I'm never going to own a restaurant." Which is the reality of 90 to 95% of us. Most of us will never own a restaurant and, or, or ever be a head chef. And while that is a difficult thing to accept, it is what it is, man. Yeah. I've battled that demon. I've fought that, I fought that dragon and, um, you walk away with scars, but there is a life after 30 years ago, that life after was much more opaque. Yeah. Now you can almost see it. If you look for it, you have access to so much information.
0: Yes. Yeah, definitely. I agree. Uh, before we get into this topic, I do, I before we get into this, I want to ask you, because um, I've never heard of that. You said breadfruit. I want to know what that is.
1: Oh, man. Okay, so breadfruit is this big, uh, what do I call it? It's like a gourd. It's like a tree gourd. It's a really, oh. really dense thing. But it has a texture of bread. It's kind of like jackfruit. You see how jackfruit's really popular now? Yeah, yeah. And it like, you know, there's this thing called breadfruit that's much better. And it's bread. super dense. It has that bread-like texture and consistency. But it's just amazing. It's a fruit or a vegetable, but it's very versatile. Unfortunately, where I am now, it's expensive. But look into it and try it out. You can mash it and fry it. Like it, it responds very well to to cooking more than once. Like you initially cook it and then you process it and then you cook it again. For example, we roast it sometimes, peel it, and then you can eat it. Or you can roast it, peel it, and then um, mash it into like something like a tostadas and then deep fry it. Or you can mash it, slice it, and then cook it in like foamy butter so you can kind of do it like a fondant. I can imagine there's so much more you could do with it because it's really starchy as well. Okay. Okay. Really starchy, but have a look into breadfruit, man. It's not necessarily the most easily... It's not the easiest ingredient to get your hands on, especially the further you are from the equator. Yeah. And, um,
0: I want to try wait, it now, You're man. in
1: New York, right? You're in Buffalo or something?
0: Yeah, New York New York City now, actually, right now. Oh,
1: you're in New York City. Man, you should be able to get your hand on some breadfruit easily. There's a West Indian community down there, and I'm not sure how big it is in the Latin community, but you should be able to get your hands on it, but I certainly do... So I, I recommend that you try it out and oh, yeah. experiment. I have
0: to go research some uh, breadfruit after
1: this. Yeah, because that was one of the things that I did when I fell in love with cooking initially, um, as a professional. And when I learned just a few, the first few basic techniques, like I learned how to make my first tomato sauce. Like I learned how to make my first, um, my first bechamel. I learned how to, you know, cook things properly, like I learned how to braise, the technique of braising, making a jus, making a stock. Man, after that, I was getting my hands on every ingredient that I could find at our supermarket. And the thing about it is this, although I was in Antigua, which is a third world country, quote unquote, because I got a lot of people down there with a lot of money. We had some very, 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 we had a wider variety of produce than I found in a lot of places in Britain when I went to some of the supermarkets down in Antigua, some of the pro... Because you're talking about a small island with a diverse range of people. You have to please everyone. And because you're importing... And you have to please the most people. You got to import a lot of things, man. The various types of flowers that I would have access to, the plethora of different grains, dried ingredients. Oh, man, I had access to the wildest dried mushrooms before I even knew how to properly, how to do anything with them. You know what I'm saying? The the, the variety of sausages that I found. And that was the thing. You see what you did a while ago, like you were intrigued by something and you want to learn more about it. Do you yeah. know how many cooks I encounter on a regular basis that if you tell them about something new, maybe they'll listen, but they'll never go out and go get it for themselves and try cooking it, let alone at home. Yeah. yeah. They'll never do it. No. They'll never do it. They'll never, ever, ever do it. And I think true learning begins at
0: home. Definitely. I agree.
1: Of course it does. Yeah, you can learn a lot.
0: Yeah, you can. Work. I mean, I'm reading so many... I So... I read a lot, um I switch between business books and cooking books, and like so I try to do a, a business book and then a cooking book, then a business book and a cooking book mm-hmm. um, and I mean, I've always loved reading, but then, like the last year, I' really dedicated to start reading books on food and business and I, I've learned a lot I've gained so much knowledge that I would like if I had never read these books, I'd never really gained this knowledge, and it's all just in my free time, like I used to be like heavy addicted to video games to so my playstation 4. 'cause I've, I loved video games as a kid, um yeah. Growing up, like, it would consume all my time, and then like one day I was just like, you know, I have to spend less time doing this and more time educating myself because no one's just going to give you the knowledge, you know. You have to actually go out and like search for it and find it. Like you, like if I never reached out to you, you wouldn't just be like, yo, like you know what I mean? Like you wouldn't have just been like, hey, here's all about my culture in Antigua. I have to ask you and go like ask people for that, and people are usually willing to give you that knowledge. Just we don't utilize our resources enough as chefs. I feel like.
1: Yeah, but that's the thing. Um... What we're doing is a person-to-person cultural exchange, which is one of the best ways to learn. Like just learning in a conversation is amazing. Is amazing, especially when you have a common denominator between the two parties, and you're both mutually interested. It flows naturally. Um, like I had no idea that you had such an affinity for books. I like books. I I, I like books a lot, man. I used to. You see, whereas I never read, I never played as much. I never was the big video gamer. I was hugely into comic books man in many ways i still am yeah yeah of course man like i think that was one of the things that added to my creativity and my imagination my my because i always wished that i could draw man that's one of my biggest wishes man i wish i could draw and i'm horrible at it and i try to draw on a plate and i can't but whatever so i like that form of artistic impression Yes, that's my preferred medium of art, comic books, and it's literature it's, it's it's you consolidate two creative streams into one in a comic book, man, because you have the art and you have the poetry, you have the literature, you have it all, you have the imagination, you have the science fiction, and you have the faction, you have facts, and it's just so much more than what people think they are, yes. Yeah. And I think there's a, there's a huge parallel between that and food because sometimes people look at food and they may, they may ask, Oh, does it have to be that, um, does it have to be that attractive? Like uh, people think like, Oh, there's too much emphasis put on presentation. Yeah, I think presentation is a big deal when it comes to food. It's what separates it. Like everyone, as long as you're a professional, right? If you put a, put food on a plate as a professional, it should taste good. Yes. Like, so no one should be giving you brownie points for making food taste good. That's your job. Yeah. That's what you get paid for. Yeah. I believe how good you make it looks determines how how much you get paid.
0: Yeah. I mean, yeah,
1: I think. No, that's it. That's it. Because when you look at it, right, you and I both know that some of the best tasting food in the world doesn't look the best. Yeah. But why can't they charge top dollar? That's because they don't present it right, man.
0: Yeah, you're right. And there's part, of me, there's part of me, though, that, like, wants that to change. Like, part of me wants the – like, I love presentation. I love – like, I love fine dining in general and plating. But there's, like, yeah. great – like, ramen, for example. Like, ramen is such an in-depth soup. It, it takes days to make these ingredients and whatnot. Sometimes. You can only charge like, at most 20 bucks for a bowl of ramen. And I feel like really good ramen should be, like – like, you should be paying more like it, it's a lot of work that goes into this intensive yeah. yeah and i mean like it's yeah it looks i guess it looks cool it has its own aesthetic but like it's nowhere like as near as play it's just a bowl of soup you know what i mean but like i i don't know i, I think we should be going towards a system that base as based on, more on like not maybe more but as equally on plating as technique because i think the dan. you know what i mean i just think the honor of honoring cooks who are able to develop flavors like that is just i think a very important thing that a lot sometimes if we don't reward we get a lot of food that doesn't taste necessarily as great
1: well okay now this is where the catch 22 comes in because i'm torn between the two of them man yeah i'm a one of the best things like my deathbed meal right is not going to be very attractive. And as much as as attractive as the food, I'd like to say that I produce attractive food. At least that's what I try to do. Um, The food that I enjoy eating looks horrible, man. It can look like slop, but it tastes so well. Compound flavors and everything. And you can't display, like ramen. If you were to jazz up ramen, it's not really ramen, is it? No. It's not. It is what it is to a certain extent. It's like barbecue. Yeah. How how much can you really refine barbecue? And when you talk about a labor of love, barbecue, that's a you talk about ramen taking days. Good barbecue takes weeks, man. Yeah. Like it takes such a long time, you know, when you look about look at the curing, the drying, the marinating, and then the actual smoking. Like it's like my favorite food to eat in the world, I'd have to, if I was to put me on the put me on the line, and I have to say my best, my favorite food is Indian food, man. I love curries, man. I love curries. And then you're like saying, oh, my God, but it's curry. It's just spices and stews and rice. And I'm like saying your average curry has about 30 ingredients in it, man, yes. especially if you're not just buying a curry powder. If you are making this from scratch. There is a process to, to, to coax in this flavor, the toasting of the spices, the size that you cut the vegetables, the way that you make your, your liqueur, your stock or whatever that you're putting in, you know, your, your paste that you're putting in, your garlic and ginger, the combination of the spices, how long you're cooking it for. Is it resting? Because then after you make that, some things taste better in a couple of days, man. Yeah. I don't know what it is about some things that you stew and you brace, but they just don't taste as good today as they will on day three. It yeah. is what it is. It's an oxymoron especially professionally and then when you taste it it's so difficult. I don't think and this is where the 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 this is where the conflict comes in because then you talk about oh yeah you should recipe that and get it consistently. Um that's not nature. I don't think two to, no two tomatoes taste exactly the same. None. Yeah. Especially if you have a precisely trained palate, which I don't. My palate is generic. Um, I can tell whether something tastes good or bad, and that's good enough for me. I can't tell you where the grapes in the wine came from or when they were stomped on a that kind of thing. <laughs> there are people who can do that, and shout out to them. Um, I hope they get paid for their talents. you know. But um, for me, I just know whether something is good, bad, awesome, amazing, or whatever. And you can taste when something is loved and meticulous steps are taken to achieve a desired result and i think a good curry is such a labor of love because look man have you ever seen some of those village curry videos that pop up on facebook or instagram
0: I got you got that i uh, have not you have to send me one oh my
1: gosh you need to see them man so you have these um these maternal figures, like normally, they like a grandmother-looking figure in a rural part of India, outdoors, sitting down comfortably, swatting ants away and everything, using a weirdly-shaped knife that is operated by foot that we've never seen you step on, it and it's a hook shape, and she just be running her ingredients through it, like her vegetables and things like that. And then they'd curry the weirdest things that you don't think people would curry, like turkey necks. And you're like, "What?" But then when you think about it, there are wild turkey in India and if you're in a village, that's what you're going to cook, man. Yeah. That's absolutely what you're going to cook. So, I watch a lot of those videos and then it shows you you see so I I don't see professional cooks looking that happy in their environment as you would see someone like that. And that's the part that I think is missing
0: yeah. from
1: us as professional cooks. We like to say how much we quote unquote love cooking and we're passionate about it. And I'm going to call big time BS on a lot of cooks or chefs out there who claim to be passionate about cooking. Because I'm like saying, would you do it for free? If you were not paid to cook, would you still cook to the level that you do?
0: It's a good question.
1: Um, that's an amazing question, man. Yeah. I don't think a lot of chefs would really do that because, like you said, when they go home, they they turn it off. They turn work off. And that's the difference. There is a clear distinction between work and home for them as far as um, cooking goes. For me, it's almost the same, man. I actually, I, you could argue that I look forward, I would work one week on the job looking forward to cooking at home, man yeah yeah of course, man. That's my therapy that's where I get to be who I really am man work is cool and everything, and getting paid is all right, and all them things but um cooking for yourself to impress yourself and to push yourself, I think that's where the that's that's the ultimate that's nirvana for me, man that's where it's at man
0: that's an- yeah that's an interesting um, it's an interesting uh look at it and I don't know I feel. This is and this is my thoughts. I could be completely wrong. I feel a big reason why people don't cook for themselves at home. I talked about this literally on my last solo episode. Um, I know this will be out a little a week or like this is gonna be out after another solo episode goes out, so it'll be like two weeks ago when you're listening to this Latin Cook Nation. But um, like for me, when uh when I see cooks they like leave work and they don't like interact with food or anything. I don't. I, I also do think it's when you work in like especially like fine higher fine dining kitchens, the stress is so much. That like mentally, like it's just like they're just so drained. And I feel like if you don't go about cooking in the right way, you can start to hate it because it can be so mentally taxing. And that's what worries me. And I know we're going to get into the thought like of being a line cook and like where that could end up for you. And that's what worries me. I think I know that's what worries you. I know you're a caring guy. I know the reason you're saying this hard this hard stuff is because you want the industry to be better and be better off and people to enjoy it more and be more passionate and there's so many people that do but then there's so many people that don't and i think that's why we may, we're coming together on this And so i want to talk about I, like the line cooks like you you like to say like where does a line cook go to die or like where do they go after their career is done i want to get into that uh that mindset that topic
1: yeah i mean like you said man i empathize with a lot of cooks that are a bit lost because it's impossible to not lose your way in this career at some point or another man we all have yo any Chef or cook that says, Oh, I have never fallen out of love with what I do is a GD liar, man. That is the you will second guess your decision making multiple times, if not just a couple along the way, because there are better ways, there are easier ways. Like Anthony Bourdain was the one who said this, and we both share a great affinity for this. Um, oh, I mean. Pfft. I mean, he said like there are easier ways to make a buck. Full stop. Yeah. Um and what I thought about Anthony Bourdain, one of the things that 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 why and he gave us all hope. Like there is life after the kitchen, man. Yeah. Like, we can do more than just cooks. When you talk about like um and, and he made it in such an unconventional way. If there was ever a chef that you should aspire to follow life after the kitchen, because like I said, most of us will never own a restaurant. And even if we do that, restaurant may, is, is statistically going to fail. Unfortunately, man, you can go into the economics of it all and what you can do to make the industry better and everything. And that's a whole other podcast altogether with food costs and inflation and labor costs and people wanting a better way of life, work life balance. You know, how do you pay people for their skills especially considering that physical demand of all this there's a lot of reasons why a lot of chefs leave the industry a lot of cooks just don't want to be cooks anymore yeah the question is, what are they going to do man and it's and like 30 years ago what would you do if you wanted to find another way of life what are you going to do 30 years ago You've, Are you going to go back to school because you got to go through a long process of finding a school, figuring out what you're going to do, getting the money together, applying, getting accepted, working both and, and working around that schedule because you have to fund it. You're probably a bit older now, so you ha- you can't just live at home and have a part-time job and, you know, make way in them things. No, you got to have a plan yeah. to have a career shift yes. 20 yeah. to 30 years ago. Nowadays it's not that difficult to have a career shift if that's what you want to do.
0: I I agree. But I think our industry, like, our industry is very innovative, but it also can be very, like, behind in a lot of things. And I feel like a lot of cooks need to realize that, like, they need something to fall back on. Like, that's what I realized. Like, I need to do something that I can fall back on. Not even if I, like, don't want to cook anymore. Just, like, like, this is, how, this is how I think. What Like, what if one day, like, I lost my ability to cook? What if one day, like, in, like some freak accident, I lost a hand or, you know, like, anything could happen. And so you can't put all your eggs in one basket. And I think a lot of cooks need to realize that. You can't just, and it doesn't mean you need two jobs, but like you need to do something that you're, you have, you have to find your interest. You have to find what else excites you in life. So that in case you can't do the one thing that you're banking on right now, you have another thing to go to. And I think that is what I'm trying to get across. I know that's what you're trying to get across in.
1: You have to constantly upskill yourself. Yeah. You You have to constantly upskill yourself. And, like you see, you put your time into reading business books and these things, um, other chefs. And that's the thing um, a lot of chefs have passion hobbies outside of it, whether it's sporting, betting, you know, exercise or something, whatever you like maybe more than cooking or just as much as cooking, wherever you find a natural affinity. um, You should really, at this point in your life, if you're a professional cook and you have a hobby, you should be really trying to master your hobby, my friend. Yes,
0: yes, I agree.
1: I don't care what your hobby is, master that shit, because we are in an era where if you are even remotely In the top 5% of anything in the world, there's a way for you to monetize it. That's the beauty of this, the, the information era, the social media era, because there's someone learning. Like you talked about your gaming, right? Yeah. When you talk about, it's, I can't believe that I live in a time where gamers are paid just based on content creation. I look at my love for comic books, right? Yeah. And which fell with my comic book love fell off a decade or so ago to the point where I had to read other stuff. But then I watch YouTube videos of people who are just reviewing comic books, and these guys in a matter of a few years, these guys have leveled up, they've moved out, they've bought houses, they've monetized their passion, man.
0: Yeah.
1: I don't care what your passion is, you can create a niche audience around it and you can service that audience, man.
0: Yes. And adding adding value in ways Add value,
1: man. Add value. There is a way to add value to any like-minded individual out there. I swear it on. I believe in that. No matter what you are going through, you are not the alone. Yeah. No matter what you like, someone else likes it too. probably much more people than you may imagine. You have the ability to not only exchange ideals and values with that community, but depending on how much effort and work and love and passion you put into that you can attract people towards you and if you can attract people you can inspire them if you can inspire people they will support you and if people support you you can then provide them a service you can give them add value to their life
0: yeah
1: and if you can that's all it is add value to someone's life and you've done your part you've made them better man yeah it's like i said when Chef Frank Sham told me, dog, just learn and learn and learn, he didn't know how much value he was adding to my life. Yeah. If he could add that value to, I swear, every chef he's come across, he's inspired in that way. If I could give that man a tenner right now, I would.
0: Yeah.
1: I would because he earned that. I'm like, yo, Chef, I have gone from strength to strength just based on the little bit of time that you took to inspire me. Yeah. Yeah. And thing. nowadays you can inspire people, you can entertain people, you can teach people. I'm not a great leader, but I mean, I can I can tell a joke if I write it down or something. I, I mean, I believe that I have value that I can add to someone. We all have value. Every single person out there, whether you know it or not, you can lead, inspire, or you can motivate someone.
0: Yeah, and you have when tools to do it. I mean, I think it's crazy. Like. I was thinking about this literally because I'm I'm interviewing you. I'm interviewing um uh, someone from Zimbabwe in a couple of weeks. Uh, we're trying to figure out the logistics of it all. Like it's so crazy. We live in an era where I can sit down on my computer, send you a link, and you in the UK and me in uh, New York City can have this podcast interview on our passion. Like
1: thirty years ago, this would have had to involve an, a, 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 an air trip, man. Yeah,
0: like this. Like it's crazy what like I can do right now with. An uh, Apple computer and an iPhone that I own, and a, and a thirty-dollar oh. microphone. You know, like,
1: dude, it's
0: crazy, man.
1: It's crazy, yo. The amount of things, yo. You know how many people that are changing their lives on just their cell phone? You have these digital nomads out there, and this is the thing I keep saying, yo. Chefs don't take the time to educate themselves on how. To really leverage um social media. There are chefs out there that I see and I admire that really get their head around the social media thing. My man's Lewis Robinson. We talk about it all the time. Chef Ben Churchill. Hey, yo, if you got if you want to get a dude on your podcast, yo, look up, look into Chef Ben Churchill. Like, I don't know if he knows how much I admire his digital hustle, but this guy has self published a book. He's he's Starting to get into e commerce in ways. I'm not going to put his whole thing out there, but I see what he's doing. I'm like, damn, this dude is, he's, he's investing in himself. Yeah. And I can see that he's an auto addict. Like he's teaching himself. Yep time learning like that's the thing yo if you want to do something like you want to be a salesman like okay like we said 30 years ago boom you want to put out a cookbook yo you have to be someone to get in the publishers on the publisher's radar to get them to have to want to invest the time into getting you to write a book like tony bourdain he was a few and far between man michael these guys were lucky but then i look at it if you had if you could transplace Transplant someone like Tony Bourdain by thirty years, he would have been much bigger, much sooner. Imagine Tony Bourdain being a young cook now with a YouTube channel. Yeah. Would all watch it? Yeah, would all watch it if he had a podcast. If he was just a young dude fed up with his job podcasting and shooting shit we would all watch it every cook would because there's no one like that and he's adding value to us in the form of entertainment yes I, uh, and, and
0: motivation man i i actually michael Romans is a guest this sunday on the podcast we had 30 minutes to chat um oh really so yeah it's gonna be it was a good uh start of the conversation i hope to have him back on uh but like how he was saying, he was just like, you know, like he cause he was a writer and he wanted to be a writer's whole life. Man. He was a writer
1: and a chef. He tried he started out as a chef.
0: Yeah, and he um mm-hmm. he wanted to like just write more about food and that whole journey, like like he, he he's interesting. He comes from an era where it went from no internet to internet and now like he's doing different projects and whatnot, which we'll like talk which are talked about in the podcast. But like even he realizes that like his voice and his value is something that a lot of people don't have. And so he's going to be able to reach so many more cooks now through his podcasting or whatever he does. And I'm just very excited for what he puts out. Like it's, it's cool to see like people like him who have influenced the past generation transition into newer things.
1: A lot of, a lot of people don't know. It's like, you look at it once upon a time, you used to dream. Oh my God, like your average cook, whatever you wanted to be a TV chef. Right. Yeah. Nobody wants to be a TV chef nowadays. Why would you why would you want to do that? If you want to be a TV chef, well, listen here, dude, go get yourself a camera, go film yourself cooking in your kitchen, upload it to Vid. upload it to YouTube. Repeat.
0: Yeah, it's easy now. It's, it's so much
1: easier. No, well, this is where this is where it's separated. Now, do you have it in you to make it happen? Yeah, because it's up to, you now. You're not waiting for someone to come and put that, to to, to, to be behind you and to motivate you. You got to do it yourself. Yes. And that's where a lot of us, myself, I mean, I know for a fact I can do so much more. But sometimes, yo, I'll be honest with you. A man just want to sleep, yo. A man just want to chill. I, I mean, I have a girlfriend. I want to kick it with her a little bit. But I, still, I do still put that time in. Yeah. And like we said about time management, sometimes you just got to know, hey, I got stuff that I got to get done, man
0: yeah I mean
1: time. you really have to want it you really have to want it, but you can do something
0: yes and you don't really, like you have so much time um I, I think in a, in a day that I just people don't take advantage of um I mean I have a personal life as well I have a girlfriend um I have friends I go out and visit so like I'll give you my like yesterday or my day off I went and I um I did another podcast my solo podcast uh we tried linking up we ended up going today um I went and got my hair cut. I met up with my friend for lunch. We toured the Chelsea Market in New York City, walked the High Line in New York City, went to the new Hudson Yards uh, complex for dinner. I went over and hung out with my friend for three hours, came back, uh, and started researching Escoffier for uh, the next week's podcast. I mean, it's just like you have so much time, but I feel like a lot of it's spent for cooks. Like, I hate to say it, sleeping. Like For me, like I need seven hours of sleep and I'm good. I feel like after you work all those hours, like I know a lot of people are probably like, Ray, like you need, like, I need to rest on my days off. It's important to rest, but you also need to like, if you really want to get somewhere, you need to like sacrifice a little bit of sleep to get your, yeah. to get educated or make things happen.
1: No, that's absolutely true, man. And I limit myself. Like, um, I try not to get, I, I, I actually don't get seven hours sleep on my days off. Like, um, but I recently got into like, um, artificial lighting with my photography. So I have the option to know cook and um, capture visually amazing um, dishes at midnight, which is something where many nights I'm cooking at midnight, getting dishes up at midnight, just for my own personal development to whack on my Instagram. And um, that's my contribution that I think I would like to hope that when I put that effort into the dishes that I create, that they add value to someone, man. I hope that at least just one person sees them and is like, "Yo, I might try that part of that dish." Yeah. You know, because this is the thing that I used to do. I used to love. I still got. I got hundreds of cookbooks, man. And I'm not gonna lie to you. I don't read a lot of the recipes unless I'm looking for a specific recipe. Genuinely, I'm inspired by the photography, the appeal of it visually. Yeah. Because at a certain point, if I know how to cook, I can, I can, I can, I can figure it out. Yes. At a certain point, if I see it, it's the way that you put it together, flavor combinations. That's something that I like. Techniques, trends. These are things that I like, and presentation, which I know you're not necessarily um. You think that should die, and maybe no, 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 no. I, I love it. Die.
0: I love presentation. I don't think it should die. I think presentation, like my my favorite, some of my favorite places to eat are Michelin. I love it. Like when I like, I think presentation is amazing. It's beautiful. I just get worried when presentation hides a lack of things take style,
1: style over substance when it's yeah. style over substance,
0: yeah like, like, like i like worked on presentation for years like i think like my chef i worked with worked at LBE like he he taught me why it's so important to to present food and i get that but i i just don't like the i don't like when people get snob snobby about it or i don't like when the food doesn't taste good but it looks beautiful you know what i mean so like that's my like view on it i, I feel like i just think ugly food deserves more sometimes i don't know
1: yeah, it does. But I like, and this is the thing. Like, um, I learned so much how to cook and how to make food taste good from my aunt and my mom, because my aunt was the one. Like, I'm talking about before I started cooking professionally. Like, in the in when I lived with my aunt in Florida, we would always do a roast dinner on a on a Saturday on a Sunday. But we would marinate our meats from the day before, and at a certain point, she would just tell me, yo, marinate the meat since y'all is in here watching me do it and everything and i'm learning and everything i would get in the hot habit of seasoning the meat and one of the things like this might sound gross but um i used to taste the seasoning on my finger from the raw meat like i'd rub the meat and then i'd suck my finger you can say Ew, no, you're such a nasty dude whatever that should taste it good right and i developed this ethos if it tastes good on my finger raw i can't imagine how it's going to taste after yeah and flavor like you gotta taste 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 that's so important first like i said No, as a professional cook, you should not be acclaimed for making your food taste good. Tasting, there's a difference between good and wow. We should all be making food taste good. Like, if if we're gonna, like for example, if we're both gonna cook a piece of fish, right? And we're professionals, they should both taste good. The only difference should really be which one looks better. Yeah. Ultimately, to really separate, to really separate us. It should be, how does it look? Then you can really get into, okay, how creative is it and everything. But ultimately, taste should go first and foremost. And then I think after that, if it looks good and it tastes good, job done. Yeah. As a manager, you just got to make sure that it's cheap and efficient to produce.
0: I also love art, like food being seen as art. I think that's an important thing to get, like medium. Like really like the chefs that like really like make beautiful plates of food like that inspires me i love art i actually want to start collecting art i'm starting with some local new york city artists i think yeah food is art is such a cool idea um you know you look at emp and you look at all these different places like you know it, it's cool when you have shops that do that uh but then there's like you know the whole idea of people working for free and like what does that mean in terms of our industry of people not getting paid a lot um you talk about about immigrant workers and like so then there's like that side of it so it's just it, it all comes with like what's the cost and what's into that but you know that's a different podcast different conversation what i want to get in with you because you interest me the most in this is the thought of being an instagram chef and i know people can use it in a positive or negative light uh explain to people what you like how you come up with dishes how you come up like what the process is like in terms of plating and like getting the photo on Instagram? Cause your dishes are beautiful. They're creative. Um, you know, I, I, every time you put up a new dish, I'm like, wow, like, it's just like amazing. And I love your creating style. So like, kudos to you on that. How do you make it all happen? And like, what inspires you to create certain things?
1: Well, okay. Um, I'm gonna break this question down into a few different parts. Um, I'll, I'll start with this part. Inspiration comes to me from experience, life and anything and anywhere. Like um, sometimes inspiration can come from um, abundance. I have a lot of something. Oh my god, what am I gonna do with it? Or inspiration can come from um, from a lack of. Like oh my gosh, this is all I have. What can I do with this? Um, inspiration can come from seeing something. Like um, there, you see something. You saw someone do something somewhere. Like. I watch a lot of YouTube videos about cooking. I watch, I read a lot of books. Um, I scroll through Instagram a lot. I see so much. I speak to people, and I'm always learning. Um, for example, like my girlfriend's from Peru, and she, they use such different ingredients down there. Like varieties of corn. Like you have different types of dried corn. You have canchas. You have mote, which is like this really, really hard, large air-shaped corn you have purple peruvian maize and these things you have various um dry chilies aji panka, aji amarillo you have different dishes there's so much more to something like peruvian cuisine than than um than just ceviche which is what it's known for but whatever like the root vegetables they're the, the way they cook stuff it's such a diverse diverse array of um of food and one of the things that I like to do is um, and you you talk about how am I inspired? Like uh, this is a typical th- random thought process. Boom! So my girl's mom comes, she visits, she makes an amazing ceviche. We use the stone bass and everything. Teaches me how to make authentic Peruvian le- leche de tigre, tigers milk, and everything. So then I'm like, oh man, I love this tigers milk, man. It's amazing. And then um, so then. I don't know, I'd be like saying to myself, and this is where I laterally start to compose a different dish. I'll be like, hmm, let of a the right? So this is tiger's milk, which is traditionally used with ceviche fishes, which are white round fish, like a bass or something. So I'd probably ask, can I put it on something like tuna? My girl would say, no, you only gotta put it with ceviche fish. So I'm like, why not? Why well, can't I put it with tuna? And she'd get mad. But then I'm like, all right, cool, cool, cool. In my mind, I'm like, I'm gonna get some tuna. I'm gonna put it with that later. But then I start to think about if tiger's milk goes well with raw fish, then it'll probably go well with cooked fish as well, right? Yeah, yeah sure. Yeah, theoretically, of course, laterally, at least I have something going here that you don't, it's an uncommon thing. And I'm like, okay, so I'll put it on the tuna. But then I start thinking like something like, hmm. If, if tiger's milk goes good with tuna, with fish, which is raw, and I'm gonna use tuna, which I'm gonna cook, and then tuna is considered to be the chicken of the sea, can I put tiger's milk with chicken? <laughs> Why not? Why not? And this is where I'm thinking like, okay, so you look at the compounds of the tiger's milk, which is just a strong sea, a salinity, and acidity. Like it's really, really, really sharp. It's lime, it's fish, and it's onions blended up together, that's it. Yeah. Now, I'm thinking, I'm, I wanna put this with chicken because surf and turf is a thing.
0: Yeah.
1: So At that point, I would then wonder, so how am I gonna make a chicken wing ceviche? That's pretty much what I'm gonna create now. A chicken wing ceviche just based on that thought process, which is something that I haven't done as yet, but that's an example of how I would create something different. Which is something I'm uh, to the Land Cooks Nation out there I expect to see a chicken wing, quote unquote, ceviche done very soon. Just because I'm interested now, I've never done this, but I can do this. Yeah. I know the traditional, I know the traditional ingredients that go with ceviche are onions and sweet potatoes and corn. So I would then incorporate those elements to some variety, to some degree or another, with the dish, and that's one way to create. Okay through inspiration, just based on someone showing you something or having a conversation. Creativity is not a linear thing. It's a few moving parts. And I do believe that you can train your brain to do this. Do you think right?
0: creativity can be
1: learned? Absolutely. I believe creativity can be learned. Okay. If you, uh, There are people out there selling memory courses, teaching you how to remember more stuff. How do you learn how to remember if that's not oxymoronic? Yeah. But there are people who believe it, and I, I I truly believe this. Like you're you're you you read a lot, and you're you're a savvy uh, modernist. So I'm sure you're familiar with Tim Ferriss. Oh yeah. Have you read his Four Hour work? I week? have
0: not read. Tim. He's actually in my Amazon cart right now. I actually just heard about him, so I watched a lot of Gary Vaynerchuk uh, stuff yeah. and Tim Ferriss. Sorry, no, it was either Joe Rogan or Gary. I Actually, I'm blanking right now. Uh, he was on one of the podcasts, yeah. and that's how I found out about him. I knew he was like important with like his thought process, but I actually don't actually don't know much about him. I'm gonna be reading his books very soon.
1: What I recommend, if you're gonna get a book, skip the four-hour work week because that's relatively just about outsourcing and get other people doing stuff for you. I I, I saved you a lot of time <laughs> on that one. <laughs> just getting other make them work for you. He has a book out there called the Four Hour Chef. How's that? And. How you can become a chef in four hours, which is not really what the book is about. It's much more um, assorted than that. But it teaches you how to become a master of a lot of things in a short period of time. Okay. And that's one of the things that you really don't need to be a master of everything if you are. if you just learn enough about what you need to know.
0: As long as you're proficient
1: training your brain to learn what you need i believe that you can learn anything and i believe that you can learn how to be creative by just teaching your brain how to you got to scramble it you got to remember like it's how to learn like although people teach right and we've all learned do you remember who taught you how to learn
0: uh no Uh, no
1: who does no but well, maybe you never learned how to learn. You were just
0: taught. You ever thought about that? I actually have. Um, because a big thing I didn't notice this until literally a year ago or two years ago. So I would go through college and like I went to the Colonial Institute of America, uh, some of the greatest times I've had. But there was like wine the wines class. I got an A minus in wine studies. It's like the hardest academic class at the school in your two year in the beginning two years that you're there. And I got an A- in the class, which is pretty difficult to get. And I could like I couldn't tell you anything about wine about a year later. So now I'm going back, like I'm reading books on wine and like getting more involved back into it because I know it's something I want to be more knowledgeable on. But like you're talking, like I think you need to teach yourself at the end of the day. Like if you can get taught a lot, but you need to continue it when you go home. And I I didn't do that for a long time, and I've lost a lot of knowledge that I could have gained just by reviewing what I have already learned.
1: Yeah, you do have to refresh yourself on a lot of things, man. But that's with anything like because sometimes as a part of academic learning we memorize yeah and memorizing is often um if it's not applied it's i don't know how long-term memory works but i can remember shit that happened to me when i was six years ago six years old but i can't remember shit that happened to me six days ago
0: yeah i mean
1: you know memory strange that's like one of those that.
0: things i mean this is something that i'm almost embarrassed to say but i remember there was a point where um uh, I, I so I learned what a bear blanc was in school. But that was the only time I had used it. And so like two years later I was working uh a sc- job outside of school and the chef was like, Yeah, just go make a bear blanc like you know. I had only made this this classical, like basic sauce once in school because not a lot of like people where I had worked had used it. And I was like I had to go uh, Google, like, oh my god, like how do I not even know it like I knew it was white wine sauce, but like the technique of it, like I had totally forgotten because I haven't used it. Like I feel like cooking is like I feel like that's why like, I think the internet's so important, and I feel like a lot of cooks feel like this, but they won't admit it. Like you, sometimes you just need to pull out your phone and Google stuff because you learn so much. That and so many people have different standards of what you should know. That like I feel like the internet's so helpful nowadays, where you could just be like, yeah, okay, and then like go and like refresh yourself real quick. I feel like that for me, like not knowing what a Bear blanc was and graduating AOS and just like totally blanking on it, not knowing what it is, but blanking on actually how to make it. It was just like crazy to me, and I was like, "Oh my God, what?" <laughs> like,
1: yeah, but I mean, it's like you're gonna forget stuff. Like, I swear, not a lot of chefs remember. No chef remembers every recipe, but um, you should remember how to make a burr blanc, Ray, shame on yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, I know. Running. I was. Uh, that was, the thing where I was like, <laughs> like, "Oh that? my God!" Like, uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> of the, but, but, but uh, you've forgotten stranger things. And oh yeah,
0: definitely. And
1: like that, people get stranger things and um and it's funny that you mentioned the fact like no one's making bur blancs any day but um it's the principle because that's because you attach a name to it. I think if you really look at and that's why I don't believe in I don't really get tied up about the nomenclature behind of dishes. Like I don't care what scaffier. Call it or what it was labeled as in the rules. What's the process? A beurre blanc is what it is. Butter, white butter. It's a butter emulsion. So I don't need to learn how to make a beurre blanc. I need to learn how to make an well, emulsion. Well, that's the thing.
0: Like, well, I, but I was able to like be like, all right, duh. like this is the process. It's just an emulsion. Um, like yeah. I, I knew, I knew what it was. I just didn't know. Like honestly, it was just the heavy, like the heavy cream that got to me because like I was like, all right, what, like, what am I missing in this white wine butter? The, like. And then I, I came back and I was just like, Oh yeah, like so like that's where like techniques come in. Like so I was able just to see that ingredient and be like, All right, I got this. But if I didn't learn that technique before, I would never be know I would never know how to make the butter No, oh,
1: no, You would not you would mess it up. You would absolutely mess it up. You'd probably just try to emulsify wine and butter. You wouldn't have reduced the wine and it wouldn't have any flavor and you probably wouldn't have used the cream to stabilize it a little bit. Like um but that's the thing. It's it's Cooking, it's it's reflex memory as well, man. Cooking is a huge reflex memory. Like, I haven't made croissants in in years from scratch, like probably about eight years. But I'm sure if I had to, I could probably still. If if I made a couple of them, I got it again, man. And that's the thing. You just need to try stuff once. And as long as you are passionate about the process when you're learning, it'll come back to you on repetition
0: yeah i mean that was uh the thing for me i made sour this past fall i made sourdough bread for myself for the first time uh i -hmm. just remember making bread in school and like what to look for in terms of like kneading the dough so like when it actually came time after the ferment sat for a couple weeks and i was ready to like get into it like it's because i've done this motion with another bread that i was able to make a successful sourdough loaf like i never made sourdough before um but it was because i had the technique of kneading dough Uh, from pasta and from other breads like i was able to successfully know when it was time to put it in the oven and how long to go for and what to look for and you know it's just the techniques need to be there and you're able to just expand and do more and like i have a lot to learn i don't want to come off as like a like a chef who like knows everything i mean when i forgot the bear blanc i was 18 but like still like you need to know these things you know like you need to know those different techniques
1: yeah, we all dude, we all have so much more. I I'm the first to admit I have so much more to learn about cooking, man. I learn every day and I try to learn so much more. Like, man, the list of stuff that I need to learn is probably longer if not as if 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 not almost about the same as the stuff that I've already learned. Because there's still so much. Yeah. The more you learn it's like there's every day I try to cook something like when I try to cook something new and once a week I cook something different. Like, for example, the other day I went to this butchery and um I got some um, mutton racks, rack of mutton, which is pretty much just like rack of lamb, but it's mutton. So in theory, you'd think it cooks the same way or not. Right. I've never cooked one. Yeah. So really when I cooked the first one, it was under. The fat content is different. The way, And then when I get it right, it's not the same because um, the, the, the the structure of the meat is older. The, it, it tastes different. So you have to learn no matter how much you may think you learn. And it may be something super simple. It may be something super simple. You have to keep learning and keep teaching yourself. It's absolute, man. There's no two ways around it, yep. man. Yep. There's no two ways around you it, have right? To
0: keep, yeah, you have to keep on it, you have to keep going, and you have to just keep pushing. Um,
1: yeah, but that's the thing Instagram gives you an opportunity to learn as well. And it, oh, yeah. like, just to close it out with what you had asked about um, being a quote unquote Instagram chef, um, I don't know. Like I, I kind of love the concept of me being, I, I, I don't even consider myself an Instagram chef. I'm, a, I'm an Instagram cook. There's a difference, yeah. a chef is a professional. A cook is something that I'm passionate about. So um, I wouldn't consider myself an Instagram chef. No, not at all. I don't own an Instagram restaurant. Um, I don't work in an Instagram restaurant. I am an Instagram cook, though. You're damn right. Whoa, that and that shit's enjoyable for me. I love that. I love cooking for the gram. Yeah. I don't know about the chefing for the gram part. Like That's not a thing that I'm aware of. Or there are chefs out there, I guess, who portray their work work through the gram mm-hmm. so they are, they are chefs they're active chefs on Instagram but me I consider myself just someone who likes to cook for the gram which is a difference because it's um it's kind of like a recipe book for me it's it's a journal for me it's somewhere like if I was if the if Instagram didn't exist I would still be cooking just as much just that I wouldn't take I wouldn't take pictures yeah.
0: So
1: are able to document it, I catalog mean, it, it and people... Yeah, numbers. but I was doing this before. What's up? Like, that's the... Before Instagram, I was still cooking creatively, very often at work and at home. Yeah. That's, that's part of the reason why maybe it's so... It's more... It's not as strenuous for me to put out dishes that consistently. Whereas now you're talking about a few hundred dishes, like deep, I do get creative burnout, man. That does happen sometimes, especially when you want to do something different and I want to push myself to put something different out. And then I take pictures and they're not up to par, my personal level, like I'm not happy with them. And I don't post them. I don't post them. So back like two years ago when I just started out, everything got posted, man. I didn't care if it was a crap picture or not. I posted it, which is probably the way that I should approach it. No, I should put everything on the gram, to be honestly, because for one, there are parts even if even if if you make a bad dish you probably learn more from a bad dish than you do from a successful one because a bad dish will force you to think how can i improve it a successful dish makes you think like oh my god i yeah. did it like you know you're not forced to improve and i think that's something you're when you when you successfully execute a dish you're thrust unwillingly into a comfort zone yeah you are, and that's a horrible place to be as a developing individual or developing creative in any field. Like you look at musicians, man, like when when it doesn't sound right, you gotta go do it again. When it sounds right, you record it, you lay it down, that's it, man. Let's push the single yeah. out. But that's that's gonna hurt you when you become that 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 audio perfectionist. That's where you're like, nah, it ain't right. Yeah. And sometimes you don't have to learn where okay, this is good enough. Let's get it out. Because you'll never, no one will ever execute. I mean, I'm sure Da Vinci had flaws with the Mona Lisa. I'm sure, sure. he did. Like oh. Yeah, but you'll always find flaws in your work, man. The thing is like sometimes you just gotta put it out. That was a man. big
0: thing for me. I mean, I always wanted to do a podcast, so um, my first podcast that I ever listened to was the Joe Button podcast. I'm not sure if you know who he is.
1: Joe yeah. Button <laughs> Rory and Mel. Yeah. What you know about Joe Budden, my man? Yeah, He was the first
0: podcast I listened to. I listened to him for a good year. Yeah, Joe Budden.
1: But but wait, wait, wait. Yo, Joe Budden is an advocate of content creators. Yo, I don't know how much you pay attention to Joe Budden, but Joe Budden was a subpar commercial rapper that got on YouTube and created content. Then afterward, he was always advocating for content. Creators, yeah. man. So, shout out to Joe Bud, yeah, man. Jonathan. Oh, man. Bro. Had no idea. I wasn't expecting that. I know it never does. Um,
0: <laughs> he's a. Uh, well, because I mean, I listened to him when he was on SoundCloud, then he got his Spotify deal, which was huge for just podcasts yeah, yeah, yeah. in general. Um, but his. I just liked his. Because I liked hip hop and I liked his takes on it. I mean, I'm not like. I'm not a hip hop head. Like, I'm not a hip hop nerd. Like, I'm not nowhere as you know, in the know as I should be, but it was cause of him that I got into like more classics and it was him that kept me updated on things. Like, cause like, I'm not a, the biggest fan of trap music, but I want to know what's going on. So like he would update me on that and just like his passion and with Rory and and Parks and everything. It's just like, it's a great collaborative. I haven't listened to him recently. Um, just because I'm like, interested mm-hmm. in like business types of things or like a lot of Joe Rogan lately, but he was definitely the first pod He was, he's the one that made me want a podcast. In terms of, like, doing Yo, but- it. No, but Joe Biden's,
1: you know whose podcast? I don't know, like um I used to listen to um in terms of hip hop podcasts. Like Joe Budden been doing his thing for a while, but when he was on everyday struggle, that was where I noticed like, and then he, his podcast really really took off, but it was content creation. He was still just, and when you look at it, right, what Joe Budden does is he repurposes content in different places. Yeah. He is so savvy with content creation, man. Like he does the same thing, but he just changes this here and that there. And it's two different formats. Like, if he does the same thing to an extent on one show, he's just the host. So that's a different, that's a different avenue of content creation. On his podcast, he's much more relaxed with Rory Parks and Mal. That's a different thing. Then he has, um, the pull up where he just interviews one rapper, which is a totally different thing. When you look at it, he's essentially doing the same thing over and over, but he knows how to dress it up and repurpose it, man. That's super clever of him. Like, you follow Gary Vee. Like Gary Vee saying he creates a hundred pieces of content per day. I'm like, how do you do that, dude? Mm-hmm. Oh, what do you consider content? A tweet, that's one form of content. Yeah. Um, an IG story, that's a form of content. You know what I'm saying? You could really just be vocalizing the tweet on your IG story, and they're two different pieces of content. Yeah. So content creation is such a savvy... Ad- but, yo, I think that's a totally different... That's a totally different episode, yeah, I mean, man.
0: Yeah. Like,
1: I think, man... I, I, I didn't know we had this common denominator here in the form of content creation and um Joe Bud, yeah. man, because, oh, man, Ray, we need to talk offline yeah. about this because yo, because he what he does is so relevant to what we try yeah. to do, like what you're doing with your form of content creation on the podcast, and what I do with trying to... I don't tweet, but if you look at my captions on my, on my There's IG. Food.
0: Like you I like give, food. you give advice and you,
1: yeah. I say stuff. I say something. I'm, I differentiate myself by just saying something. Yeah. I don't have to say, it. sometimes I talk about movies. Sometimes I talk about life. Sometimes I talk about food, but I try not to talk about food in my captions. Okay. Why? Because I'd rather do that somewhere else. Yeah if that makes any sense. Like, no, I don't come to my captions for food. If you want to meet I, I do... When I talk about food, I do that on industry talks with Lewis. Like, I'm talking about food here. And that's the thing. It's about understanding where to put the content that you have best. Like, I have a blog, which I haven't serviced in a while. But I used to talk, do, leave my food talk to there and post there, man. It's about putting content in the right place. And I don't think a lot of... Like, chefs, um, as far as being content creators, creators there are very few of us. When you look at the foodie content creators out there who are crushing it, very few of them are chefs. You're talking about like bloggers, yeah. man, that can probably make like an avocado toast or something. But Those are the but
0: people that, they, those people are, um, they, crushing they, they it. inspire me. Like, I, yeah, they're
1: crushing it, dog. Yo, no, they can do, they have much less technical skill than most chefs, and they have jobs as well, but they put it out there. Yeah. They're doing a better job at putting out food content than chefs.
0: Yes, sometimes
1: we are. It's like I like to say when you look at the people who have successfully created e-commerce products based around food, very few of them are yeah. chefs. Very few of them are chefs. These guys are internet marketers, man, who know how to create demand for a product. Yeah. So we are as chefs. I agree with you. We're a bit behind the curve on this. Um social media thing but you you could rightfully argue that a chef has no place in social media sure that's great if you want to think so i think different i totally think different i think it'll become much more much more much clearer in the upcoming years and such. And I think maybe by then, I don't know if it'll be easier or harder, but it could be a bit like, there's no better time to get to the party than now, man. And, and it's like, they always say, yo, it's, like Gary, it's like Gary V says, yo, imperfect action is better than inaction. Just start, Just start man. Start, if you want to, yeah, just start. Just try something. Try making a YouTube video. Try taking a picture of food. Try writing a story about food. Just try doing something. See see if it's in you. Or if not, just go out there, get on Udemy, figure out something that you want to learn and look for it, man. Pay a tenner, get a course or scour YouTube, yeah. man. There is no excuse, yo. Get yourself, if you need the motivation, there's self-help books for that or audio books for that. You can do so much to make a change or to make something. You can create, you can be a part of, you can. Man, I get a lot of people that say, and you know what the worst part is? There is absolutely nothing unique about what I do. And I look at so many people who I envy so much because they can do things that I only wish I can do. But then there's a part of me that says, you know something? Focus on what you do, focus bro. I can't be the people who are better than me at what they do. I can be a better version of me at what I do. Yes. Yep.
0: Yeah. I don't, I totally
1: agree, man. It's important to keep doing that, to find something you are good at. Like, oh, man. Like, let's put it this way. I look at pastry chefs out there, and I'm saying to myself, man, you guys are awesome, some of the things that you do. Like, I was working with... um. And, and and I tell – there was this girl that I worked with, and she was, a, she was a pretty good pastry chef named Alice, and she had these epic recipes. And I'm, like, saying to myself, you have no idea what you're sitting on. And I don't want to drop too much game here, but let's leave on this. Like, um, something as simple as if you love pastry, mm-hmm. right, you know, you can – sure, you can't sell recipes. There's no way to own the intellectual property on a recipe, right? But you can find a niche audience for specific recipes. Yeah. I'm guaranteeing you that if you can create 15 ketogenic um, desserts, like 15 keto recipes, you can get you can
0: can turn that into a dollar. Yeah, I mean, you put on. uh, You
1: can turn. I'm not going to tell you how, but just look at. Go on ClickBank. If you are listening to this, right, go on ClickBank and look at cookbooks. And you'll see people will sell these books for you, man. I mean, I can't drop enough breadcrumbs, right? But there are ways to get paid from owning a yeah. recipe. It's unconventional, and you have to understand the purpose of a niche audience. But look at do you know how many slow, co- like what do they call that stuff, instant pot, instant pot yeah. or something? What's that slow cooker thing? You know how many of those. Recipe books are crushing it on I Amazon guess, right now. Uh, right? Chef
0: Jenny Dorsey just put out an Instant Pot cookbook. Um, uh, like, there you go. See, people are on yeah, it, man. Right.
1: Yo, this is where you find a niche audience, and you're like, and she'll probably do well if she markets it and uses the right influence marketing. If she gets it up in the Amazon ebook algorithms, or if she sells it herself, man, or you can exchange it for an email address for free and then retarget that audience, man. There's so much you can do if you're yep. savvy.
0: Yeah, I agree, man. Uh, so I know we're, I know we're coming down to our time here. If we, if you could leave, um, I have two more questions. First one is any advice for people to start? I know we've talked a lot about it, but what do you think is the number one way to get started? Like what, like for you, as someone like who wants to start creating content, what was the way you, like, what made you start?
1: Um, what made me start? I just kind of started like I was creating content without knowing, like I started out trying YouTube and, um, I had a YouTube channel that was defunct. Um, but that's because I don't like editing and YouTube. eh, It's not for me. It's not for me at the time. So then, um, I was taking pictures and I was posting them a lot on my Facebook page and those things. And then I was, I was stubborn about getting on Instagram. So one day I decided, you know something, let me try posting these pictures on Instagram. And much like anyway, I wanted to take a better picture. So I said, you know something, I saw so much subpar photography out there. And um, I found someone who I, I, I admired the way they took their pictures. And I'm like, yo, how do you get that? And just the basic information they told me improved how I could take a picture. Like I thought, take a picture, slap a filter on it, job done. No, just edit yeah. the picture. Try that. Try editing the picture. And, and that was an eye-opener for me. So if you want to get started, the first thing is you have to yeah. start. Like, you have to start. Like, I think that is the easiest question. How do just you get start. started? Simple. Just start. Just go. Just go. The thing is this, yo. And the best piece of advice I would give you about getting started is it won't yeah. be perfect. But just get it over. there. Like, if you're just getting started, no one's paying attention to you anyway. Yeah. So this is the time to throw all that crap out yeah. there. And the people who follow you when you're just starting and it's crap, yo, these people are special, yeah. man. Like, they got time for you at your yeah. worst.
0: Yeah.
1: Well, you got to really build a relationship. And that's the one piece of advice I would give to getting started with content creation. After you start, start building meaningful relationships. Yeah. I've made so many so many relationships with people through social media, like people who are, and I'm not the type of guy to throw on the term friends, but I have friends from social media, like people who I actually get to know and I care about. And we're on like, you know, we don't just talk about food anymore. You know, like sometimes I get to, I I read their captions. I know when they're going through stuff, you know, they comment back and forth with me. And I'm like saying, we've never had a a verbal conversation in real life, but yo, your support has done so much for me that I have time for you. And I wish that one day I could give it back. So build meaningful relationships. That's the first piece of advice, man.
0: Awesome. And um, my last question is how I end all my interviews. Uh, Now that you've been on the podcast, I know you've been shared on my page. What does it mean to you to be a part of wine cook nation, the group of cooks and chefs looking to educate, connect and grow and just leave a better industry than when we got in here?
1: Yo, I think this is what the industry has been missing, man. Uh, 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 Something where we can support. And what I like about you is you're not just looking for the big dogs. You're looking for the regular dogs like me. You know what I'm saying? You're not looking to to, to, to just interview the you're not just trying to interview like the the uh, the el bullis out there you're not trying to interview the adrias you're not trying to interview the kellers and all those things you're not trying to in, uh, interview the the tommy bank you, you are just trying to interview the line cook and that is the cook this is all about yeah. the cook man and i think the fact that you put such a an emphasis on 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 the backbone of the kitchen hierarchy which is um a chef the head chef is nothing without his team and you are just as likely to care about the team as the the leader i think that's incredible incredibly admirable of what you do and it's uplifting thank you
0: man i mean that's the thing it's just like i i everyone has a story to tell that's why i love cooking is a stories um you know a lot of people like the rush the adrenaline my favorite part of cooking is the end of the night when you get to talk and chat after you know you've crushed service that's my favorite part of cooking and when um like yesterday I was in the Chelsea market. I asked, uh, she's never, I was like, Hey, I think your story is interesting. Would you be on the podcast? She was like, yeah. So we're going to set that up. Like there's so many stories that we don't talk about because people aren't like, like you, for example, a lot of people won't know who you are when I put this out in terms of my followers, but now they're going to know. And like, now you're going to like be able to have a whole new audience, you know? And like, that's what I want to do. I just want to support people like you, who I look up to as like creatives and people who can put really beautiful food out. And I just want to share the stories of more than just the people that, that have already had their stories shared. Like I would love to have Thomas Keller on here. Uh, there's so many different points of view questions that I want to ask him, but I also want to interview the people who are grinding and coming up now. So like when 5 like five years from now when you have something super successful, like your Instagram is blowing up and you might, I don't know what projects you'll get in five years. I can go back and be like, Hey, I interviewed Kareem when he was, you know, still like, you know, you're at 30K on Instagram, but he was just like pushing and trying to get the message out for cooks. And like, I don't know. I think that's something cool that I
1: at. Oh, and I'm flattered. And that's humble for you to hear and everything, but you have to know, um, and that's the funny thing about life, man. I want to leave on this. Like, um, just know that you're an inspiration to me, Ray. Like I am, I am literally in awe of your work ethic. And I wish I had that work ethic. So There's a mutual respect. And I think sometimes we can never forget how much we, and that's the point. Look, look, if I want to leave on one, one thing, this is the last thing I want to say. I don't care who you are out there. You are likely already an inspiration of someone. Yeah. Like that's it. You are already an inspiration of someone, whether you know or not. So you kind of have a responsibility to, to keep inspiring whether you want that responsibility or not sure, but there's nothing wrong with being an inspiration. And I guess I'm a bit idealistic and a bit romantic about all those things. And I I get that sometimes I am the nice guy to an extent. And I don't expect like, and it's a cutthroat world. And maybe I'm not built for that side of the world at all. That cutthroat game at all. I'm, I'm a bit of a hippie like that, but I do believe that as long as each one teach one, Respect one another, lift one another. I think we can yeah. all make it, man. And keep in inspiring. I believe that I have an abundance mentality. There's more than enough out there for yeah, all of us.
0: Yeah, that's beautiful. I want to share what you just said as a quote, as like marketing for this. So yeah, for sure, man. There's more than enough out there
1: for all of us, man. No need to be selfish and and them things, man. There's, you gotta have an abundant mentality, man. Yeah, you have to. You have to. Ray, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for yeah, having me, you, bro. I love it, man. And I wish you nothing but the best, continual growth. And uh, I'm rocking with you forever Thanks, from man. now on, man. Same for
0: you. Thank you so much for coming on.
1: Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help.
0: Thank you all so much for listening. And just a reminder that on June 6th, it is the deadline for the Anthony Bourdain podcast. Please submit My Anthony Bourdain Meant a Ton to You. I really want you all to be involved with this. I've extended the deadline so you all could be involved with this. Please submit that message to me on the Anchor app. Go to my Instagram. Go to my Instagram story to find out how to do it. Just please go ahead and just submit your message. Don't miss out on being a part of this episode. Thank you all so much. And I look forward to hearing all of your messages on why Anthony Bourdain was such an inspiration.